Last week got started on uh, Second Kings, and this is closing out the story of Elijah. So I'm going to start out just by reading the first eight verses. Second uh, Kings one. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go, inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? So they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go, return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub? The God of Ekron, therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then he said to them, What kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. <laughs> so Elijah intercepts the messengers and does you know what God tells him to do sends them back with this prophecy and then he removes himself uh, he does not go on down himself he is he is as you know he usually did with Ahab who he'd address himself in this case he just sends the messengers back and he's he withdraws um and this is, we can draw a similarity to Jesus, you know, withdrawing to go into the wilderness, which he did often after dealing with, with people. He would uh, withdraw himself. So the messengers don't know who he was, but uh, they identify him uh, through his striking eccentric look. And of course, this is also the description of uh, John the Baptist. Uh, wearing uh, clothing of camel hair with a rope around his waist and, and uh, that kind of thing. And uh, it became kind of like a uniform for uh, prophets. And I'm going to read you a little bit here from Pink. He that the prophets had some such distinguishing garb is clear from Zechariah 13.4 by the false prophets assuming the same in order to beguile the people. A garment of hair to deceive is a quote he pulls out of Zechariah. 
in that era when instruction was given to the eye as well as to the ear by symbols and shadows, and uh, uh, that uncouth dress denoted the prophet's mortification to the world and expressed his concern and sorrow for the idolatry and iniquity of his people, just as the putting on of sackcloth by others signified humility and grief. For other references to the symbolic meaning... Oh, I don't need to read that. Uh, so, and God still does this. How does God... How are some ways that God communicates to us non-verbally? You mean like symbols or... Uh, uh, could be. Intuition. What kind of things has God put in place to uh, to uh, communicate to us His, like for instance, His grace to us? There you go. <laughs> See, I mean, He, he still does this uh, kind of stuff, um, and it's, it's often been uh, noted here how Eucharist uh, engages. I mean, there's the words, so it engages you know the voice and the hearing. There's the smell of the wine. There's the taste. There's the mouth feel of the bread. You know, he engages all of our all of our senses in uh, in the taking of the Eucharist, and that's not the only thing. I mean, the world the world as God has created is full of symbolism, isn't it? <laughs> so, any other thoughts about that? Well, through the Spirit. <clears throat> I had, I had found the parallelism in Jude um, 5 through 8 a few years ago, and I'd been looking at those verses for talking on for several years, and it just kind of dawned on me one night. It made me you know, feel like through know, the Spirit, you know, you know there was time to let me see that, so mm-hmm. it meant a lot. Mm-hmm. The uh, nature in the universe speaks to God. No. no, that's not verbal. Um, mm-hmm. You can only go so far theologically with that, but it speaks to the glory of God. Right. right? So, the and the existence of God. God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In some ways, almost any creative activity speaks to the. We are co creators. Co creators with God. Yeah. Well, that's where I find God a lot. Tell me. 
That's the dogwood tree. Yeah. I've heard, and I don't know this, the wood that the cross was made from. Uh, well, I, I that's kind of a legend. I can't prove that. God is dog spelled backwards. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That pretty much proves it. But there's a lot of things. It went from Godwood to Dogwood. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just look at the season we're in. We're in Lent. I mean, we were talking with Greg about this earlier. It's, it's uh, spring. And uh, God has set up the season so that life comes out of death in the spring. So, and, and therefore, Easter is in the spring. Just waking up in the morning. <laughs> exactly. It's a little resurrection. It's a little if we die daily, well, you know, mm-hmm. you're resurrected every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's All right. not a bad way to look at life. Yeah. So, so there's lots of stuff. Are you going to talk I wasn't going to cover that again, but oh, you covered it last week. Yeah. Okay. Did you have some or? Well, I just I didn't realize you covered it. I was just going to talk if you covered the names. Yeah, Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I went through the first four verses last week, but I just thought, I'll go ahead and read it again. Uh, all right, let's go on. Verses 9 and 10. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was, sitting on top of a hill. And he spoke to him, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. <laughs> Beware of what you ask. <laughs> yeah. here's, here's my witness to you. that What you say is true. So Ahaziah was more interested in the man than the message. You know, he asked who sent you, uh, but he wasn't that interested in what he had said. Uh, but he knows if it's Elijah, it's bad news. <laughs> oh, well, that's just, that's Elijah. <laughs> See, it's going to be bad. That's right. So go kill the messenger. He arrogantly sends these 50 to arrest Elijah, and the captain addresses him with scorn. I mean, obviously, this is, uh, this is kind of a uh, com- contra- contrast statement here. You're a man of God. I'm a man of the King. Get down here. Um, so he's he's being scornful in this. He's being arrogant. Uh, now, Pink contrasts uh, this fire that is sent down from God uh, to this the the acceptance of the sacrifice during the contest with Baal. If you remember that. Uh, 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 after after the priests of Baal have finished, you know, you know, with their vain attempt at getting something to happen, Elijah lays out this sacrifice, and God's fire comes down and consumes it, and the rocks of the altar, and all the dirt, you know, it consumes everything, and Pink sees that as an acceptance of uh, uh, Elijah's uh, sacrifice on behalf of the people. Uh, but this fire is the judgment of sinners. So we have sacrifice. We have an atoning sacrifice first, or you know, in, in type. 
followed by judgment. The second time is judgment. So you get, you know. Fire can be cleansing, but it can also be destructive. <laughs> yeah. So this is very much, you know, like the the uh, uh, first advent of Christ versus his second advent, you know, where he will not be nearly so nice. Any thoughts about that? Yes, Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. Mm-hmm. So we need the destruction of the lion. Was the uh, uh, connection with the first advent, second advent, was that you or was that Augustine? That was, well, I, I don't remember if he applied first advent okay. to it back, you know, when we, yeah. when we studied that, but it's, I mean, it's, it's it's the same pattern. Sure. You know, first first oh, like first you get your your offer for grace. Right. The next time it's going to be judgment. Right. Um. I'm going to read here Luke nine fifty four. And when his disciple and when his disciples James and John saw this, uh, let me go ahead and read from the beginning here. Uh, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jer- Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? So... They were in the wrong advent. <laughs> they were in the advent of the acceptable sacrifice. Uh, but it's interesting that they, they pulled this thing with Elijah out of their head. So, any any other thoughts or comments or questions or anything before we go on? It's, it's amazing how much the disciples knew about the history of Israel. So, I mean, so you, obviously you go to synagogue and there's yeah. They're, they're reading, they're reading, they're studying. Yeah. So they know it. It's one of the things I really like about the chosen. Uh-huh. You know, so, so they make so many references to these guys, these disciples knowing this about whoever from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So, and so. There's a very great, significant and important. There's a great verse early on in Acts uh, when they have they have faced some officials, and uh, they're told to shut up and you know move along. And uh, the officials note that they are not learned men, but they had been with Jesus. So. <laughs> well, the, 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 the series chosen tries to make a very distinct, a very distinct uh, separation between the Pharisees, who are the learned men, and everybody else. Right. So, so they, they don't consider them to be learned. Well, I mean, they, they, I mean, this might have been like Peter saying, hey, let's build tabernacles for Elijah and Moses because he didn't know what to say. This, this may have been something of an epiphany that, that uh, because they were with Jesus, <laughs> you know, they get this, they, they make the connection here that they might not have before, but. He felt like he had to say something. Yeah, uh, but it does. It does also go to show that even if all they get is, an, you know, like bedtime stories as they're growing up, Elijah was an extremely important <clears throat> personage in the history of Israel.
All right, let's do the next two verses. Then he sent to him another captain of fifty and his fifty men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus says the king, thus has the king said, Come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. So, what is the uh, what is the definition of insanity? You know, doing the same thing and thinking you'll get a different result. You know these soldiers didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they may not have, they may not have gotten a report. You, know. you try to keep your soldiers ignorant. <laughs> Uh, he does it again, and the second captain is arrogant as well. He uses the same phrasing, and uh, he gets the same result. So, what's going to happen next? <laughs> uh, 13 through 17. Again, he sent a third captain of the 50 with his 50 men, and the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. <laughs> Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s and their 50s, but let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Then he, said, uh, then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, uh, well, I lost my place. Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken. Because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place. In the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So, the, the captain, uh, the third captain has learned a lesson. And he declares that he's a servant of Elijah's, not of the king. Uh, and uh, uh, he has learned to be humble and Pink uh, says that uh, God is not only protecting Elijah's life here, but also his honor. So I'm going to go. I'm going to read you a uh, paragraph here, or a little bit of a paragraph. Uh, and he said to him, unto him, Thus saith the, saith the Lord, etc. Elijah now repeats to the king, without any alteration, what he had said to his servants. Without fear or mincing the matter, the prophet spoke God's word plainly and faithfully to Ahaziah. In the name of him, in whose hands are both life and death, he reproved the monarch for his sin and then pronounced sentence on him. What an awful message for him to receive, that he should go from his bed to hell. <laughs> The king. Uh, well, we're on to Ahaziah now. So, <laughs> a little more direct. Yeah, he's pretty. He's you know, namby pamby. 
So yeah, I always like the way these prophets, when they're asked to repeat the message or they you know, give a message to take it on or whatever, it might not be exactly the same, but they usually just say exactly the same words. Yeah. No, no interpretation. No, nothing changed. Just, yeah, I mean, that's a safe way to go. <laughs> you know, not trying to embellish it or interpret yeah. it anyway. Or explain it. But it does not say that Ahaziah dropped dead that, that minute. No. He still had time to repent. Uh, he could have done like the captain at this moment. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, the reason Elijah was there was because the captain came before him humbly. Uh, but there's no record of that. <clears throat> So, I mean, we can assume he probably didn't like Pink. Pink is kind of assuming that. <laughs> they don't want to be too optimistic here. I'm always, cur- always curious about people that run into just saying, you know, that, that they acknowledge that there's a hell and that they're probably going to it. They don't, yeah. There's no fear. I knew a guy who said that flatly. You know, I know if I die now, I'm going to hell. I was I'm done. And then, and then the union students who was working, this was at the paper in the sports department, so the union students who were working you know, in the sports department kind of <laughs> converged on him. <laughs> but he was steadfast. He was, um, was going to live for the day. It's like they don't have a clue of what they're, you know, they, I mean, they have a clue of where they're going, but they don't know the end, they don't know, they, I guess they have no view of I think it's going to be a party. Well, either that or they got all the time in the world. Yeah, that too. No, it's really worth it because uh, if they really believe in hell, a real hell in eternity, I believe in They're just talking. They, they make they, you know, what they tell somebody to go to hell. I know I'm going to hell. They don't understand what hell is. Yeah. They don't believe it. I see. Yeah. I think we need to hear a little bit more about hell these days. We've sort of shoved hell over the corners of place like it doesn't exist anymore. Well, what we need is a good tent revival. I'm not sure that being afraid of hell is good enough. Well, you you got to take that next step, too, to be able to humble yourself to accept grace or, or to understand it in the first place. Uh, I mean, most of these people probably think hell's a lot of work to get out of, yeah. uh, and just don't you know want to put in the effort. Jesus says to fear the one who can send both soul yes. and body into everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's the word. So <clears throat> the healthy fear of God they don't have. You know, so that's why said they had if they had a healthy fear of the judgment of God. Well, that's the end of that chapter of Pink. Uh, we'll move on unless there's some kind of uh, any other closing commentary. <laughs> Okie doke. Uh, well, in chapter 34 of Pink's book, he decides this would be a good time for a review. <laughs> so he does a nice review uh, of the life of Elijah. And this is what he says about it. 196, paragraph 2. The life of Elijah was not the career of some supernatural being who tabernacled among men for a brief season. 
I wonder who he's talking about. <laughs> he has no angelic creature. He was no angelic creature in human form. It is true that nothing is recorded of his parentage, his birth or early life, but the concept of any superhuman origin is entirely excluded by the expression of the Holy Spirit's Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, which is from James, James 5. He too was a fallen descendant of Adam, harassed by the same depraved inclinations, subject to the same temptations, annoyed by the same devil, meeting with the same trials and oppositions as both writer and reader experience. Yet did he trust in the same Savior, walk by the same faith, and have all his needs supplied by the same gracious and faithful God as it is our privilege to do. A study of his life is particularly pertinent today, for our lot is cast in times which closely resemble those which he encountered. Varied and valuable are the lessons which his life illustrated and exemplified, the chief of which we have sought to point out in this book. Our present task is to summarize the leading points among them so, again, he invokes his own time, uh, which uh, I gather is around World War II, either during it or, or as it is arising in the world. Uh, but he hadn't seen anything yet. <laughs> He's, we can definitely apply that, that statement to our own times and, uh, where the truth is meaningless and uh, uh, the rule of law is just going down the drain. So, uh, I don't expect, I might get through this today, but I might not, uh, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, so, but first, uh, with that in mind, I'm going to give you the basic outline, and then we'll go get into these things more specifically. Uh, he, he identifies seven defining aspects of Elijah's life, and the first is that he is a man of faith. The second was that he separated himself from evil. Uh, he was, third is a, he, he was a man of elevated spirit. So he'll get into that, what he means by that. Uh, fourth is he was a mighty intercessor. Fifth is he is a man of spiritual boldness or courage. Uh, sixth was he was a man who experienced a fall uh, this is his crisis of faith when he uh, thought he was alone in the world. And seventh was a man who had a supernatural exit from the world. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't really consider his life without including that. <laughs> it's, it was somewhat unique, almost unique. Okay, so <clears throat> let's uh, start with he was a man of faith. Uh, his faith led him to be obedient to the orders of God. So he was obedient to the order to move to Cheroth, to the brook Cheroth, and to be fed by ravens. Uh, he was obedient to the order that had him move to Zarephath uh, to accept ministry by a Gentile widow. And he uh, was obedient to... Uh, uh, to the order to go confront Ahab and Jezebel. Now, one of these, one of the things that you see out of this was he was never comfortable. He was moving around a lot. He didn't really have a home base. 
you know, as foxes have their holes and birds have their nests. He was moving around constantly, and, you know, obviously this is something you see in Christ's, Christ's earthly ministry, that he was never stationary anywhere. Um, yeah. So, any any thoughts about any of those points? Well, it's good for us to acknowledge that we are like that. We are wayfaring strangers. That we are not of this world. It's hard to keep that in mind because the world is coming in on us so much. Yeah. We're reacting to it to, to acknowledge that this is not my home. Right. Passing through is not a, I mean, to, to really hold on to that, yeah. not just in words, but in, in lifestyle. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's essential for the church. In, in, you know, get your mind around the, the idea that, that you're in a sojourn here. You don't really belong here. And Christ, Christ made the place, and He didn't belong here. <laughs> he was just sojourning through through the world, you know, for His ministry, and it's the same, basically the same thing for us. <laughs> We're here for the purpose of ministry. You know, these prophets, I mean, or a person who has the gift of prophecy, I mean, they really have to pay a price. Yeah, it's true. I'm glad I don't have that gift. I'm fine enough with me. But, you know, the few times where God has, you know, said, no, you need to to go and speak the truth right to that person, you know. But it costs. I mean, it may break friendships. If you want to get rid of a friend, yeah, tell him tell him some hard truth. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sort of our job, though, in some ways. You know, I mean, it's our responsibility to uh, to remind people that this is a temporal life, yeah. there's an eternity that they have to grapple with at some point in time. Uh, you know, so it's, in that sense, we're all prophets. Yeah. I'm, I'm not talking about that. Well, go ahead. Finish. I said it's not easy. No, it's, not it's not easy, easy to it's not it's easy to, to to face face the devil in a sense. You know, so. Yeah, it goes back to uh, what you were saying about talking about hell, though. I mean, you turn a lot of people off by talking about hell, but is it doing them any favors to help them get there? You know, just so they can feel better about themselves now. It's a, it's a misunderstanding of love too, because most yeah. people they think of love that God is so loving He's not going to He would not do any of this. Yeah, squishy stuff. tolerance. Going to go through, but true love, true love is trying to protect people from their future in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's to try to get them to see truth. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, some people don't want to hear that. Yeah. They don't like that message. And there's a whole group of people in the church who don't like that message. Okay, well, the next one was he was separated from evil. So for this one, I'm going to just read you a little bit here. 298. I've just got one sentence here. God has not called his people to win the world to Christ. Rather, does he require them by their lives to witness against it? So, 
we're not here to win the world, we're here to witness against it. Well, I'll pare that sentence down. And that, that requires a separation from, uh, from evil, from the evil that uh, uh, dwells in the world. Uh, he, uh, in, in this, in this uh, section, he uh, points to this um, point where Elijah separates himself so far that his only companion is God himself. And uh, you could say this happened at the Brook of Sheroth, you know, even though there was ravens visiting him, his only you know companion was God. Certainly, up in the mountain, um, God was the only one with him at that point. So he's he is very uh, strict about this, you know, separation. Elijah is. So, any any thoughts about that? There are there are Christians who separate themselves and become hermits um, in the east. Uh, there is there are men who climb up on you know high pinnacles and live alone up there. You know, and somebody has to bring them their supplies in a basket that they they pull up by a rope. And there was a story a few years ago about how. Uh, they one guy uh, stopped taking his basket up, and they weren't sure what had happened. Maybe he had abandoned his post or something. But they decided, you know, somebody somebody else wanted to take that position, that or that hermit position. And they went up there, and there was a skeleton up there because he had just he had just died, and you know they had not they there was not enough contact to even know that. So this is pretty extreme. Um, there's a distinction between, I mean, you know, I mean, we live, I mean, with evil pressing in on every side of what we live. It's how, how do I, how do I navigate through that right. without it, without it having its will in my life? You know? But most of us can't separate ourselves physically like that, and uh, we've got to learn to deal with it. Uh, and it's more of a spiritual matter, a spiritual separation than a, than a physical. Even in monasteries, there's a lot of solitude there, but you're in your monastic community, so you're not utterly alone. There's a, there's a balance. There's a scripture in Proverbs says, He that separated himself intermittently with all wisdom and have no fellowship, etc. And maybe there are men that God's called to be alone. Mr. Pink spent the last many years writing commentaries uh-huh. and just he and his wife wouldn't even allow a visitor to come in just a very few seconds, short time but I'm thinking of a balance here too uh, Paul says we're to enjoy what we get from the world system that God has provided that for us but then Jesus has much to say about the love not the world nor the things in the world and he also says he that's friends with the world is an enemy so I'm thinking of the man of faith here. Uh, he's living by faith in the world as we are. We are to live in the world, but we're not of the world. So it's like it's reminding me of the uh, one of the churches in Asia, uh, I believe it's Ephesus, where the Lord says, repent and return and do the first works. And 
I believe the men of God, the prophets, or even us today, that is, Lord, where do I go next? The Spirit of God, our relationship with Christ, those are the things that are for the prophets of old and for us, the same Spirit worked in them as it does in us, the Spirit of God. All right, any others? Oh, Connor? Yeah, I, I think of all of them so far, that one is at least the most challenging for me to kind of think through. And I'm not sure I agree with it because I think I think it, it's, it's too simplistic a contrast. I think, I, think, um, I think victory in Christ and separating ourselves from the world go hand in hand, so I'm not sure why he's distinguishing between the two. I mean, as a priest, oh, oh, the statement. Yeah, as a priest, our our job is to do both. We're supposed to claim our domain and bring it under the rule of Christ. That's our responsibility as believers. And yet, at the same time, we're also supposed to separate ourselves out from the world. So it's both. I, I don't I don't see the I don't get why he's distinguishing between the two. Which is what Jim just said. Yeah, being a balance. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's. That is going to require a debate. <laughs> We're going to have to set up a debate where both sides can be uh, can be exposed and, and studied. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, again, Pink is given to really hard and fast statements, uh, which which you know sometimes need to be uh, you know toned down or or uh, looked yeah looked at with a. Uh, uh, calm, uh, rational mind. <laughs> but, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'd say it speaks to the subtlety of sin, too, you know, because I think it can sneak in to our lives in such a way that we don't even acknowledge that it's there. And then all of a sudden something will happen. You know, God will take you around the corner or something like that. And you go, oh man, I think it's up. Because it's so, there's so, oftentimes it's so subtle that. Uh, so sneaky, you know that uh, that we can't, we don't. It's hard for us to recognize it sometimes. It's hard for us to, you know. And and every every person, every Christian has besetting sins that they are that they have to battle constantly. You know, so even Paul talks about that thorn in the flesh. I think we all have those things, and it's sometimes that battle is so complicated and difficult that we give in. And we have to find another form of repentance, another form of cleansing. And I think part of the journey of Christians is, is God, in a sense, ultimately trying to clean us up. You know, so, and it's a, but it's a constant job. Never, never. You know, our feet always need to be washed. You know, so, yeah. I think the one common denominator with folks that are called to that hermit life is prayer that yeah. they're always they're supposed to be praying constantly in the right. church you know and uh, so somebody with somebody who's that way God calls they're going to be that's going to be their their MO prayer they're going to be praying all the time you know yeah. it, it's a ministry of prayer you know and, and ascetic prayer you know um, you can't separate ascetic, Christian asceticism from prayer it's it's, right. it's linked you know? right yeah 
uh, which doesn't mean that it's only ascetics who should be praying oh, no. without ceasing. Yeah. Right, right. Um, I think it, it, I mean, how many of these true hermits for Christ have there been over the course of history, you know? In triple digits, maybe? <laughs> it's not for most of us. So we, we have to make our own peace uh, with how do, as priests, how do you minister to a fallen world? And at the same time, calling out that fallenness all the time. And I mean, they actually they go together. You know, you, you can't you can't win the world without slaying it first. You know, with with its with its guilt. So, got to go into the home of tax collectors and sinners. Yeah. I I have never personally witnessed the moment of repentance in somebody else. Uh, you know, y'all, you guys who are more direct evangelists may have seen that. You know, the very moment when somebody is slain with a conviction. But it's got to happen. I mean, it happens to every believer somewhere along the line, even if you're, you know, five or six. You know. So this is this is what we're striving for uh, to see those people slain and be there to minister to them. Grace. Right? <laughs> yeah, except I was thinking about that too, though, when we get to things like little children that believe in Christ, and, and they can, and they do. But I mean, it may, there may not be any great you know, sea change or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they hear about Christ every day, and you know, they pray, they believe in Christ, and, and they always believe in Christ. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, we're going to have to leave off there. We'll pick up, we'll finish up next week.